welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of microchurches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Well, welcome to another episode of Dream, Create, Enjoy. I'm obviously not Drew Thurman. This is Christine Lee, another team member here at Renaissance. And today I get the opportunity to do an episode with Dr. Neil Windham. Neil, do you want to say hello? Hey, it's good to see you, Christine. It's good to see you too. Um, Neil is a husband, a father, a grandfather, and he was also one of my undergraduate professors. He was a college professor for a long time, teaching Greek, New Testament, and over the spiritual formation program, which is what I graduated in. And he worked at a local church and recently retired, where now he's currently providing a lot of spiritual direction and also teaching at the School of Ministry at a local church. And so, Neil, we're super excited and honored to have you join us for this conversation. But before we get into all of that, we're going to play a little game. Is that okay with you? I suppose it is. Yeah, we'll yeah, I'm not really. Out. I'm not really giving you a choice. I'm sorry. So I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but... When I was in college, I used to teach you a lot of like cool new phrases like, you know, the bomb, but I'm not in college anymore. And I'm also not that cool anymore. However, I did do some research to learn what the kids are saying these days. So I'm going, I'm going to give you some phrases or words that the kids are using these days. And you have to guess what you think it might mean. Okay. 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 All right. So here's the first one. Bussin. Say it again. Bussin. That is what you said. Uh, we're going to school. <laughs> That's, uh, no, but the kids would not say going to school is probably bussin. Bussin means something really great. So if you're like, uh, that food okay. is bussin, that shirt is bussin. So it's, it's, it means something good, but good try. Okay, the second one is riz. Um, you know, I have no idea. And uh, to to hazard a guess would be embarrassing for both of us, and maybe uh, everyone else who's listening today. So, uh, go ahead. Well, you got to guess. You have to like just okay. Okay. Riz. What do you think Riz means for it's, kids? You know, it's close to crackers. I don't know what is Riz. Oh, like crack- oh, you're really thinking like Ritz cracker crackers? <laughs> okay, I get to. Yeah. That is like full grandpa mode. I respect that. Actually, Riz is short for charisma. So it's how the kids are saying that someone's got game or like they're kind of good at flirting. They're like, that person's got Riz. Wow. So you're picking really good words today. Yeah, I'm here to help you just in case you need to use that in your life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do have to say, Christine really helped me uh, years ago when people were calling me a a bomb or the bomb. The bomb, yeah. And, we had to go over that uh, one a few times. Occasionally, I heard the goat thing, and I, I, that's just ridiculous. But uh, you helped me. You created a lexicon. Yeah. And we were always adding to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm here to serve. 
totally out of date here. And this, you know, it's questionable as to whether this is a good strategy for getting people to listen to what I'm about to say, Christine. I mean, we didn't say you were a Gen Z expert. Okay. So, and I will see if the people that are listening even know themselves. So I got two more for you. Okay. The, The next one is Stan. What does Stan mean? That's a guy that I like to have coffee with. Oh my we, we do that about um, once once every other month. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Well, mm-hmm. for the kids, it means to be obsessed with, but not in a creepy way. Okay. What's the etymology of that? How did that word develop? It's like it's like stand and fan mixed together. Like oh. you're standing with someone, but you're a fan. So like okay. for us, we might say like, we stand Henry Nowen. Yeah, because I know you like him, and I like him yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's okay, helpful. last one, last one. No cap. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's close to no carbs. That's an Atkins diet, or some yeah. kind of yeah. Well, oh, that's not really? close at all. No, not <laughs> close at all. But I was trying to be encouraging. I was trying to be nice about that one. You have always it, done that. Yeah, it's uh, it actually means no lie or to say for real. So if I'm okay. like, you're really awesome, no cap. I'm trying to say, you're really awesome, for real, no lie. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You know, I the circles I travel in, I don't know that these things will help me, though I do have a grandson who's a freshman now in high school. So uh, please, please write those out and send me an email so I can try them okay. on him. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll send it to you via carrier pigeon, and you can try it yeah. out with your grandson. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you well, totally flunked the test. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know what? We we all do our best, and so you did your best. That's all I can ask for. Um, <laughs> thanks for playing along. And now I'm, there's no smooth way to transition this, but I'm just going to go for a big recap of where we're headed. So if you've been listening to this podcast, season one of this was purely theory. And we kind of walked out the big picture vision for Renaissance and talked through the paradigm shifts of um, what needed to happen to come to our model. Season two, uh, the 10 essential values were what was discussed. And then season three, we started hitting on a number of topics related to being a practitioner and joining God in our neighborhoods. But this season, we're really focusing on the realities of shared life in microchurch community. So in other words, we're exploring what does it look like to live as a spiritual family and walk in the way of Jesus together? And how do we push past the facade of other forms of church we've experienced to have true intimacy and growth? And this episode is all about an essential and escapable part of living in community, which is walking through pains and burdens. And so before we jump into some of the questions I have for you, Neil, I want to read this quote from Henry Nouwen, knowing you did your dissertation on Henry Nouwen. So of course I had to read a quote from Henry. Um, And this is from his work, The Inner Voice of Love. And this is what he says. What is your pain? It's the experience of not receiving what you most need. It's a place of emptiness where you feel sharply the absence of the love you most desire. To go back to that place is hard because you're confronted there with your wounds as well as with your powerlessness to heal yourself. You're so afraid of that place that you think of it as a place of death. Your instinct for survival makes you run away and go looking for something else that can give you a sense of at-homeness 
even though you know full well that it can't be found out in the world, you have to begin to trust that your experience of emptiness is not the final experience, that beyond it is a place where you are being held in love. So let's start here. Neil, from your perspective, what's important to understand about pain as a Christian? Good question. Uh, I think I would mm -hmm. start with my understanding of uh, the reality that pain is abnormal. I, God didn't design us uh, to be a people who lived in and endured pain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are questions about whether people might have endured some kind of pain prior to um, sin entering into the picture. But my sense is, no, that really God has always created us for us for for a life of um, flourishing. And all of that changed in uh, it, it changes in the third chapter of Genesis when we hear about the entry of sin into the world. And the consequences of sin are devastating. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of people are turned away from the Christian faith when they get to the third chapter of Genesis. It's going great until you get there. And then, no, uh, I just can't deal with this. Well, none of us can deal with that. And that's why Jesus came. But that's, you know, getting way ahead of the story. The thing is, pain, which I think initially was abnormal, has become the norm. Uh, in in this era, and one of the things that does is it it just causes enormous questioning about God and the nature of God and the the plans of God. Um, is God good? People ask all kinds of questions along those lines, and. I don't have the answers to all of them neatly figured out, but I do sense this, that uh, pain is one really serious indicator of our longing for home. Mm. And by that, I mean, you know, what it was like prior to the entry of sin and the fall of humanity from God's good graces when we chose on the basis of violating a single simple commandment to say no you know we broke covenant with god at that moment um there there are a lot of texts that talk about it in the bible there are a lot of great writers that talk about it c.s lewis is one of them he wrote this book the problem of pain in it he says mm. you know i'm going along having a perfectly great life and uh, reading new books and listening to new music. That was, that was the thing for Lewis. Um, <clears throat> and then suddenly I get a diagnosis from the doctor that says, you might be checking out in six months or a year or two years. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything is thrown off balance. And suddenly all these other things don't seem nearly as important to me. Uh, but if in time, say a week or two weeks, I hear again from the doctor, oh, we misread uh, that report and really you're fine. Suddenly, I don't have this sense of dread that I had. And I'm mm -hmm. back to what he called my toys. 
you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, everything is great. And, and it's true that God refreshes us through art and music and sports and, and lots and lots of good things, but none of it should be mistaken for ultimate eternal home. Mm -hmm. That was his point. And I think it's well taken. Uh, the texts that I think of are my favorite psalm. This is Psalm 131. My heart is not proud. My eyes aren't lifted up. I haven't set my sights on things that are too great for me, but I have still and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mama, like a weaned child with her mom. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. And the reason I love that psalm so much is because I've seen this process, and you've heard me talk about it, Christine, mm -hmm. of, of weaning and recall when my son uh, was fully weaned. His mother held him for 20 minutes while he was screaming and crying and kicking. In the same way that I think we scream and cry and kick when we're experiencing pain, Mm -hmm. But he came to this place 20 minutes later where it seemed like, I don't know developmental psychology. You're, you're getting to know that, <laughs> but I don't know it. And yet it seemed like there came a moment when he recognized who had been holding him through all of that screaming and kicking and red in the face crying. I mean, I'm crying. Miriam's crying. We're all blubbering. Mm -hmm. uh, but he became content and suddenly became very clear to me what what it's like a weaned child content mm -hmm. to be held in his mother's arms and i think that's what what it looks like with us when we begin to understand pain and maybe the role of pain maybe maybe a part of it is to help us to recognize that god is still holding us uh, in the midst of the ordeal, Psalm 130 says it's like um, a night watchman who's waiting for the dawn. And, you know, he's studying shadows and he's anxious. Uh, there might be a thief or an intruder. Uh, and then the first rays of sunlight burst over the horizon and suddenly he's relieved <laughs> because he realizes it's it's okay. Yeah, no, no one broke in. No one stole anything. And that really is very much, I think, what it's like with us. We're, we're, we're waiting for the dawn, uh, to come and for Jesus to come. And meanwhile, we deal with this ordeal of pain and it's not easy, but God is still holding us. The dawn is coming. It's Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the Lord. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, he's not abdicated. He's, he's yeah. got us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what I'm hearing you say is that even though pain is not what we're made for, it has a way of unearthing the needs within us. And... Yeah. As we sort that out, we have an opportunity to see the ways that God is seeking 
to meet us in our need. Maybe not always in the ways that we want or hope for. Yeah. But but truly in the ways that we need. And even what you were saying is really interesting thinking about um you brought up, you know, a wean child and that experience of you and your wife Miriam holding your screaming baby. And it made me think of um, attachment theory and psychology, which really Mm -hmm. talks about the ways that we connect with other people and how we learn to develop healthy relationships with others. And a lot of the theory talks about how when an infant is in distress, they need their parents to not just meet their physical needs, but be attuned to them, to be emotionally attuned and understanding of what they need. And it's this whole idea of like, if a parent just like feeds the baby, changes the baby, that only goes so far. There has to be a way in which there is like deep emotional attunement, understanding, eye contact, care. And that's what allows those like neurobiological connections to be made for a child to develop into an adult that knows how to connect with others and believe that when they need help, that they'll be given it they'll they'll be able to find it they'll be able to trust that help is on the way and it just makes me think so much about like this idea of being attached to god like obviously Mm -hmm. our parents shape us so much and how we understand god and that's for good reason because if our parents don't attend to our needs aren't attuned to us emotionally it's really hard to believe that god will show up for us when our parents haven't but even then like if people have experienced you know early childhood pain from their parents it's i think that there's something so beautiful of like the message of jesus is that god is making us into his family and is giving us the opportunity to experience him as father in a fresh way so even then our pain can be can be an opportunity for us to be to be brought forth and healed you know so well said I, I appreciate that perspective. I have a friend who says nothing is wasted, and I believe that. I mean, if we really claim the truth that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, what's wasted here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as regards attachment theory, fundamentally, I think spirituality is about experiencing God. And to experience God, you, you develop a relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. he... He invited us into this relationship, but we have to um, we have to partner with God in the relationship. You know, people don't develop relationships overnight. It takes time, lots of listening, lots of uh, talking, lots of presence, and uh, in that way, we can hopefully develop a really healthy relationship with our Maker. You know. In spite of those pains, yeah, um, and and maybe sometimes because of them, you know. Mm. So, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, I like your perspective on that. Well, I was thinking about you know, I know that you're not necessarily part of a microchurch or community, or but for for me in this journey of becoming a part of Renaissance and uh, experiencing life as a part of a microchurch and a microchurch network, it's been such a source of beauty and hope. Uh, I think it's really reoriented, reoriented a lot of different aspects of my life of what I understand about God because of the ways I experience church through these people that are becoming more and more a part of my everyday life and understanding that 
mission is more just about joining God wherever wherever he already is, which is everywhere. But what specifically is he inviting me into? And yet, as beautiful and hopeful as all of that is to me, I want to recognize that it doesn't necessarily make walking through pains and burdens natural or easy. Yeah. I think sometimes we have this like idyllic view of like, once we get to the right framework or we understand certain things about God, like these things will become easier. And and I don't know if walking through pains and burdens, our own and especially with others, ever gets like very natural or very easy. And so what do you think holds people back from walking through pains and burdens as a community well? Yeah, that that's a boy, that's a big question. Uh, here in the Western world, I I have to begin with um a sense of self. Um we began this radically inward turn toward um individualization uh, mm. in some fairly unhealthy ways hundreds of years ago mm. um and that's led to some problems i mean in, in kind of a modern american mythology there's this notion that i'm a self-made person mm. um and that's that's really a very much an overinflated view of the self that I could do all this or in a corollary, you know, you can become whatever you want to be. Mm. I, I get the, I, I get what's behind that. I, I don't believe it's true. I believe that God wires us and gifts us uh, mm. according to God's desires and, and his pleasure. Uh, and that, within the framework of that wiring and gifting, we make contributions for the whole community that would otherwise not be available to the whole mm -hmm. community. Um, the other side of that modern American myth uh, is I'm worthless. Mm. And, you know, some people turn inward and <laughs> uh, they, they they conclude they don't have anything to give and it's an under inflated view of self i'm borrowing language from a recent conversation i had with our friend john walker mm. the over inflated and under inflated self both of those views of self call for radical repentance from christians mm. uh, we need to appreciate the limits that have been given us as gifts uh, and we need to really appreciate the 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 beauty of uh, how God has wired each of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do that in a context of encouragement. We do it in a context of recognition. Yes, you have gifted me, and I'm okay. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Thank you. We don't say thank you enough. That's a part of developing the relationship with our maker. I mean, when you say thank you, that, that always leads to a better relationship. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so glad to to help you in this way. So we need to work at our sense of self. Um, and then I would say, you know, the question is, um, how do we walk through pain and burdens in the community? Well, we need to we need to uh, go back to a notion of neighboring that makes some sense. 
I mean, we built our fences high. We've traded the front porch for the back patio. Uh, we we go in and out of our garage uh, in our car sometimes without ever having any opportunity to wave at someone or or speak with them anyway. Um, and I think of one of my favorite authors, you know, this Wendell Berry, who lives, by the way, not very far from me. He's just <laughs> across the river in Kentucky, northern Kentucky. He talked about membership in his novels. Mm. And by that, he didn't mean membership in a country club or, you know, a civic organization. He said, my membership is in Port William, Kentucky, this fictional town in his novels. I'm a member of this town. I'm a member of this community. Mm. Um, and one of my favorite characters in, in uh, Barry's novels, uh, Burley Coulter, uh, you know, at harvest time, he would say, I'm so proud I never took a cent of money from anyone for helping all these farmers when it's harvest time. And no one's work is finished until all of our work is finished. Mm. Uh, what what how do we recover a sense of what it means to be a neighboring community i mean beyond the church uh the people sure. who live across the tree the street or, and next door to me um and the last thing i would say is a lot of us have been burned mm. somewhere along the way and you know living in community and contributing community with a backlog of pain is very very difficult because we live in fear mm. uh, to which jesus says cut that out you know i've overcome the world you don't have to live that way mm -hmm. so yeah that's uh, that's my sense yeah i really love what you're saying like where you you know when we think about what might be holding us back from being communities that walk through pain and burdens together like what you're saying about individualism and the lack of the recognition of limits, it really makes me think about how, um, you know, when you, when you believe like I can be whatever I want to be, I can do whatever it is I want to do. It puts you in a position where it's really hard to acknowledge your own pain and your own need. Mm. So if you can't even show up for yourself or be honest about the pain you're experiencing, because you're like, I have to be all, I have to do all these things that maybe it's, at the end of the day, they're not possible for you, but you can't recognize that, then how can you, if you're not attentive to your own pain, how, how could you, how could you be attentive to someone else's if you can't no. deal with your own? Right. And I also really love what you're saying about neighboring. And to me, it's like the flip side of that, like what probably gets in the way is displacement. Like we mm. are so displaced from not just our neighborhoods, but I think the communities that we're part of, like, it's really interesting to me in that whole, like, self-made person when you're unhappy with something you can just move on like that wasn't a part of your story like yeah i didn't i don't like that aspect like it's really even interesting as i i thought about the people who are a lot of white ex-evangelicals who are deconstructing a lot of it's just like well that's not who i am anymore as if you could divorce yourself from a culture that you were steeped in mm. and that's not how that works and so i think so much of what prevents us is when we see ourselves as able, as such an individual, we can pluck ourselves out of the cultures and contexts in which we are in. And so we're not connected to them in any meaningful way. Yeah. 
And so, of course, we don't even understand the needs or the pain, the burdens that are in our midst. And I think that really, the other thing that made me think of, Neil, as you were talking, is like the fear is like, I feel like for so many Christians, especially, there's this, I know I've seen it myself, this desire for certainty and answers, which often leads to like spiritual bypassing, right? Like if Mm -hmm. everything in our faith is kind of like easy and there's just an answer, it's usually Jesus. Then when someone is in insurmountable pain where there's not clear answers, we want to give them an, an easy, simple fix instead of actually entering into that. And I think that really holds a community back from being able to do pain well together. Like I always think of it like we need to have wide shoulders for pain, not just for our own, but for others. And when we would like easy answers, there's just no room for that. We have to share the questions Mm. and quit pretending that, you know, we have all the answers when in reality, we don't, we, we have clear direction. We have growing, deepening faith. And that all develops within the context of an authentically, you know, you know, an authentically Christian community, where we own the questions jointly, and explore them honestly, uh, in a submitted context of prayer and devotion and otherwise you know i just i don't think it works and we've seen plenty of evidence uh that it doesn't work so yeah yeah. that's really good i i think just to finish this first half of our episode out i'd love for us to talk a little bit about sometimes when we haven't walked through pain with others well and maybe just think of like us one example i'll do it too And my question for us is like, what did you learn about yourself and about God through this? And I can go first. Um, It's kind of along the theme that you were talking about where, or we were talking about, where I just thought about how a lot of times when I was a student pastor, I was extremely uncomfortable when students bore a lot of pain that manifested in them, like um, questioning fundamental aspects of faith. And I like found it like I just was thinking about this and I was like, I didn't make a lot of room for that. I kind of wanted like to be like, let's get in the study. Let's get the answers, you know, like because it felt like core doctrine. And when I think about those situations now, it's like I hear the, the deeper questions they were asking, which was like, what do I make of the fact that my parents are this way and I'm being told these things? And yet, like, that's not what I experience. Yeah. Or what do I do with the fact that all these people I know from church that I see at school are actually like kind of terrible humans. But Mm. I like, I was so panicked that I would siphon it off into just like, this is the question about doctrine. You can't question the doctrine, you know, like, and, and I think like what I learned about myself was uh, in that time is just like, I look back on that now and I'm like, I was just so uncomfortable with people's pain. Like there was, there, it felt like I had like a, like a certain amount I could tolerate. And then once it got too deep, I wanted out. I wanted to find a way to like, be like, let's, that's enough. Like we can't, we can't yeah. do this. But really the, the reality was like, it was like, I can't do this. It's not that you can't do this. I couldn't do this. And I think one of the things that I've, I've learned a lot about God through thinking about that the last couple of years, is like just the wide birth that God has for 
pain. Like, I, I think I've learned that a lot being a therapist too, is like, yeah, that sometimes like God is just with us. Like he doesn't give us answers. And that for me and my own personal journey of faith, that has been some of the most like crushing moments. And yet when I, when I make it through it, I feel like the times where I felt like God wasn't answering me, he wasn't doing the things that I wanted him to do. But later on, I was able to see how much he was with me. And that became more profound and more healing than him just giving me the quick fix I wanted. And I think for me, that's been so teaching of like what presence means in the midst of pain and mm. what it means to increase your capacity to hold pain. Mm. Um, and I think that I've had a lot to grow in in that area and still do for sure. But yeah, that's what I thought through. What about you? Wow. Wow. That was incredible. Um you know, if I could just hitchhike on that for a moment, and I might say more about this after the break. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of spiritual direction as tending to someone's soul. Mm -hmm. uh, and our tendency as pastors is to want to fix things for people. And so we think about soul cure when I think mm. really what it is, is more soul care. Mm. And uh, the care is attended by, again, the community owning those questions as a community mm. and saying, no, I, no, I, I'm not going to pretend here to be God's answer person, <laughs> but I, I, I really am going to be someone who will walk with you and and uh, tend to this with you, alongside you. That's community, you know? That's what we're talking yeah. about. It's really, it really is very much what we're talking about. Okay, what's really interesting about this uh, question, you said, what did you learn about yourself and God through this experience of uh, having walked through pain with other people? Well, I don't want to talk about that, Christine. And not doing it well. Don't forget that part of the question. And not doing it well. <laughs> yeah, not doing it well. That's right. That is that is the question. See, I even overlooked that part <laughs> in the reading of the question. And I, when I looked at that question, I thought, okay, stop. I don't want to talk about this, which is precisely <laughs> the issue. Hmm. You know, that is exactly what the problem is we, we can't sometimes own the reality of our own failures and mm. uh when that happens uh we're, we're not in a position to learn from them or grow through it mm. so i you know I, I i did think of some things in fact when i got started i just kept going and going but i'm not gonna go through all of this i had a friend years ago who on his deathbed in the hospital I went to see. Mm. And um, he really wouldn't speak to me. And mm. I don't think it was because he couldn't. I realized as I sat with him that there was something going on there. There was a wall that I wasn't aware of. Mm. Um, and granted, this is someone with whom uh, I didn't have the closest of friendships, but he was a friend, a genuine friend, a real friend. Um, 
And that, you know, a similar instance, I mean, I walked away from that hospital room not really knowing what had just happened. Uh, similarly, in ministry, I, I was charged with a responsibility that I tended to for a time, but then I was no longer asked to do it. Mm. And, uh, and maybe you've had that experience. I don't know. And, you know, I, I'm wondering what in the world is that? Uh, why is this happening? And yet I didn't inquire. I really mm -hmm. didn't inquire. And in both of those instances, I should have been asking more questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes we're afraid of the questions for fear, you know, that our pride will be hurt or there'll be criticism or blame or shame or a sense of loss. That list could just go on and on and on. And I'm a, you know, I'm at heart a person who really doesn't like conflict and doesn't want to tend to it sometimes. So that's that's my response to your question. Let's talk about some times when we haven't walked through pain with others well. I mm -hmm. really didn't walk through it well in either of those cases, and it was it was painful on my part and theirs. I think in both mm -hmm. of them and. I just really should have sought clarity um, mm. and didn't do it. Yeah. What did I learn from that? Ask more questions. <laughs> uh, uh, learn the, the, the skill and the art of transparency, which is absolutely vital to the uh, healthy functioning of any uh you know any strong community yeah. so i and i think i'm doing better at that now in part as a result of those two experiences well thank you for sharing that i feel like i don't even want to add to that because there's so much to glean just on how you shared it so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue this conversation about what it looks like to go through burdens and pain together and how we might actually do that Welcome back. We just talked about a few ideas regarding pain and the Christian life and the barriers to doing it well. But now we want to turn the corner and talk about what it might look like to enter into pains and burdens communally marked by the way of Jesus. So Neil, kind of like I was saying earlier, you were a college professor for a long time. You're also a spiritual director. So I know you've seen and borne a lot of pain alongside others, mine included, if I do say so. Um, and first, before even even um, before I ask you my question, I'm thinking about how some people might not know what a spiritual director does. And you touched on it a little earlier, but can you tell everybody that's listening, like, what is spiritual direction? What's it like? What's the point? Yeah, uh, great question. And, you know, my own notion of it is morphing over time. I mean, I was trained in a spiritual direction certification program and basically learned what I taught you years ago, that it's a prayer process between a human spiritual director mm -hmm. and a directee who comes to that director uh, who wants to see how God's at work in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so in the process, we learn to listen to each other and we attempt to listen to God and we're attempting to listen to ourselves simultaneously in like an hour long session 
you know, the great challenge for me has been I'm not a great multitasker, and here we are listening to everybody. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you, you just have to stop sometimes, literally. Stop talking, stop, stop asking questions, stop saying things. And in complete silence, both director and directee listening again to God, self, and the other. Um, I, I said a moment ago, it's not soul cure, but it's soul care. Might mm -hmm. be important to say something of what the soul is. I know it has received a million definitions in our time. Uh, it's like spirituality. One scholar wrote a book and gave 92 definitions of the word and said, basically, we need to chuck it and find new language. I'm not ready to do that. That's millennia old language. And I'm, mm. I'm just not ready. To, it's biblical language. The soul. I, I tend to lean into Dallas Willard, who said the soul is uh, our life. Uh, mm. Um, and, and it's life beyond, but not independent of the body. That's um, right. Yeah. So it's it's important to realize that our life is, is more than this physical body. It has a deeply spiritual makeup. I think of the soul as language in scripture, which is used to talk about how we relate to God. Mm. In particular, there is a divine component in the human soul. And it's why a lot of times when people are talking in context of people who no longer believe in God, soul is not a relevant category because they don't believe there is a soul. Mm. Um, but we do. And so we're, we're trying to get at this elusive dimension of our human experience uh, that defies easy explanation and leads to books with 92 definitions, you know, and mm -hmm. and we do it by focusing on what it means to experience God. That's really hard language for some people to buy. Yeah, uh, you know, can talk about God. I can give you correct doctrine about God. I can talk about, um, you know, the active service that we render in the church and what happens say on a Sunday morning. Uh, but really, if you get to what's happening on Sunday morning, in essence, what's happening is a profound experience of God mm. in prayer. And the songs that we sing are largely these days prayers. We're petitioning our maker. We're acknowledging that God exists. And is listening to us and cares about us, and uh, we believe will respond to us, and all that is really extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. It's why the Bible is filled with language of awe and and wonder uh, in its descriptions of encounters with God. So, yeah. in an actual session of spiritual direction, you know. I'll ask a directee to talk about whatever they're going through in life with a view to where they see God at work in the midst of it. And I, I do have an example. Let me just give you some questions uh, that I asked of a directee who said to me, well, this month I've just been focused on what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
And that's good biblical language for what was going on between Mary and Jesus. You're, I think you put your book over your laptop and your audio is a little bit hard to hear. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, let me try that again. So, yeah, this direct C said, I've been sitting at the feet of Jesus. And as a, a spiritual director, I thought, okay, I'm going to go with that. You've sat at the feet of Jesus. What has happened? As you've been sitting there listening to Jesus, like Mary listened to Jesus, what is he showing you? What is he saying to you? Mm. What is he asking of you in this conversation? You know, our, our, our prior meetings had been focused on what was right around the corner. You know, what, what is Jesus saying to you about what's next in your life? Um, and then back to the biblical dialogue, Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is needed. Uh, and apparently Martha had missed that and Mary had gotten it, you know. And yeah. so I ask the question, what are the obstacles present when you're trying to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen, really listen intently to what he's saying to you? Um. The text says Mary had chosen the better part. What does that choice look like? What is the better part? Mm -hmm. I ask him. And, you know, I also ask him, how do you see Martha? Martha was the one who was busy with the meal preparations. How do you see Martha at work in you? I mean, so I'm trying to get the directee to go back into the biblical narrative. We spend some time with that narrative, just focusing on it. Um, and really, maybe the hardest question that came in that session was, um, you know, what Mary's been given won't be taken away from her. Well, what would it look like if it were taken away from you? Mm -hmm. Listening to Jesus. So it, it was kind of a case where we, we put our ourselves back into that story in a very focused deliberate kind of way and i think it opened up some new venues to think about how he experiences jesus um, yeah. in life i love that and it makes me think about how this spiritual direction is such a good i think partnership experience for those who are pursuing microchurches or um missional theology because the whole idea is like we don't we don't want to look for that sacred or secular divide we believe god is work at work everywhere and so we we look for him everywhere and we look for where he invites us and i think you're talking about how in spiritual direction sometimes you can use a narrative of scripture experientially and mm -hmm. what, what was coming to mind is that there's so much pain within the scripture there's so many narratives of pain within scripture right like god does not bypass that his word doesn't try to like make light of things or make things not as painful. And so I was thinking about like you're a spiritual director and I'm a therapist now, and we've both spent lots of time in and around church. And I was kind of reflecting on how these days we're obviously in very different life stages, but a theme I kind of sense is that for both of us, God has moved us into quieter, beautiful, but kind of more ordinary lives. Like um, there's not like that, busyness of ministry in the same way and yet 
somehow, even as we embrace this quiet life, we can't escape pain, our own or others. And so I want to ask you, like, to get practical, how do we shoulder other people's pains and burdens? Well, you started talking about neighboring, but what are some of like the really practical ways for someone who's a part of a microchurch, someone who's trying to be an attentive neighbor? How do you shoulder the pains and burdens of other people well? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, and I'll go back to something that I mentioned earlier, and, and this is purely on me. Uh, I've got to notice pain (laughs) in order to be able to tend to pain and to accompany someone as they walk through pain. Um, So again, there's a measure of daily repentance that needs to take place in me because I don't naturally Mm -hmm. want to notice other people's pain. Uh, I've endured some pain myself and, you know, um, you know how that is when you endure it. You really want someone to reach out to you, uh, but they have to notice. And so I think, again, I come back to this repentance thing that, you know, the, the reason the people came to John the Baptist and were baptized is because his was a baptism of repentance and they knew they needed to repent. The Pharisees, on the other hand, did not come to John for baptism. Why? Because they didn't see that they needed to repent. They didn't notice the pain of the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all these other people. Mm. And so that's why I keep um, coming back to the point of repentance. Let me say it this way. How do we shoulder other people's pain and burdens? Well, I think it goes back to the fundamental prayer of humankind. Anybody who is prone to want to pray at some point in life is going to pray this prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Or please just help. Help. Mm. I need help right now. Uh, And we need to, to learn to pay attention to that prayer as it presents itself with other people. Um. So when it comes to pain, I I have to say this, (laughs) and I'm just coming to this. I'm preparing for um, a series of talks on compassion next month. Mm. It's dawning on me, Christine, it's not so much what distinguishes us Christians when it comes to pain. It's Mm. not so much what distinguishes us from other people as what makes us all the same. Hmm. We, we, every one of us, it's a human thing. Pain is, is universally ours as human beings. So it becomes one of our great bridge building projects in the church uh, to identify pain and to empathize with people. You know, uh, compassion is not pity it's not sympathy i can send flowers or a card uh, mm-hmm. but but really caring about someone who is suffering involves us in walking in their shoes in solidarity with them among them um and so we have to pay attention to what what we share with them i mean up to a few minutes before this podcast 
I was planning this evening with my wife and a couple of other people to go over to a friend's house who uh, has um, terrible stomach cancer that spread throughout her body. Uh, just to be present, we we don't know what else we could do. I mean, can we crack the door open? I mean, she's really suffering. It may not be an appropriate time. Uh, to come in and we, we had spoken to her husband about it prior to that but he's at the emergency room right mm. now and our constant vigil for her at this point in time includes um, constant prayer and these cries for mercy the curia eleison lord have mercy that comes straight out of luke's gospel and the psalms and then to be present with her in every possible way that we can because this is death is so lonely dying at such a lonely lonely moment both for her and for her husband and we just want to be present listening is important uh how do we shoulder others pains i spent three hours with a a young pastor yesterday who's uh, resting from his labors right now and packed a lunch and we went out into the woods and sat under shade trees for three hours. And basically I just listened and asked a few questions of him along the way uh, to try to get a feel for what's going on. And, and I will follow up. He was really receptive to that. Um, I was doing spiritual direction though. It was not billed as such, you know, mm -hmm. It's yeah. just one of the great privileges of my life to tend to the to the lives and the wounds of uh, former students, which he is, uh, in a in a way that seems appropriate. So that's some of what comes to mind. What does the therapist have to say and answer this question? <laughs> There's a lot of similar things I was thinking through as you were talking, and it, you know when I was in started school we one of the first conversations we had was about like what is clinical empathy because that's what we're trying to provide for our clients in spaces where they're telling us about a lot of pain and um i think that one of the one of the professors talked about how a lot of times when we think about empathy we think about what would it be like if i was in your shoes but that's not quite it is what is it for you to be like in your shoes yeah and uh, we did this um, exercise, I remember, where we watched um, a clip of someone, like a client, disclosing some pretty significant trauma. And I think in that, um, it was like about different types of assaults they had experienced. And the professor went around to the room and said, how would you like to respond to that? Mm -hmm. And I remember there was someone that spoke up right away and said, I just wanted to say, like, I'm so sorry. Like, because and the professor was like, why? Why do you want to say that? And the student was like, well, because it's horrific. Like what happened to them is horrific. And I want them to know that I'm sorry that that happened to them. And the professor asked this question that has always stuck with me. And he's like, do you think maybe that you want to say you're sorry because you're uncomfortable with their pain yeah. and not because that's what they need? And it has really informed um, for me when I'm sitting with somebody else in obviously like I'm not telling people they need to be like a therapist for their neighbors because there's real therapists. But I do think one of the learnings I've had that I apply in my real life now is sometimes when someone's sharing with me and I find myself 
uncomfortable. First, it's noticing that like, I want to escape the conversation or I want to, I want to make it better. Like just noticing those things in myself and getting curious of why, why is, why do I feel that way? Like, why do I want this conversation to be over? Why am I so stressed out? Why am I annoyed or whatever it is? And also noticing, you know, habits I have of closing down the conversation instead of reaching Mm -hmm. deeper. And I think a lot of times we all have tendencies to do that. When someone is in pain, it's very uncomfortable, especially because I think at the end of the day, we know for most things, we don't have a solution. Like yeah. you can't solve your friend's cancer. Um, you know, like I feel like you, even if it's not my clients, it's like friends. Like I have a friend going through a divorce right now and it's like, I can't, I can't make that better for her. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing I can actually do. And I think sometimes that makes us feel helpless. And so we want to close that faster instead of being like how do we get into this wound deeper together mm-hmm. and believe that god will take care of us if we enter it even more um because it feels scary yeah. it's like it's like if i get deeper into this what if there's even less answers what if i make this worse what if you know like but i think i one of my favorite scriptures is from psalm 34 18 where it says like god is close to the brokenhearted and yeah. I just think that the the honor and privilege of being the church is to be an embodiment of God. And so being close, being close to the brokenhearted, it's not fixing. It's not even healing. You know, that's not, that, that's not the, what that scripture says. Like I do believe no. God heals, but I think like for us to reflect on what does it mean to be close to the brokenhearted and trust that God will work through that whether or not we have the answer or the solution, or if we make it better, quote unquote, or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the dangers is uh, when somebody is hurting very, very deeply, um, especially when they've been through trauma, they, I mean, there's been abuse and expressing our righteous indignation at that Mm -hmm. in such a way that might lead them to a place where suddenly they're feeling resentment and deeper anger and we've just made things worse (laughs) but to walk with them as we listened and to acknowledge god's presence god who ultimately heals um and i you know even if my friend doesn't survive this cancer god ultimately heals those those that language that james uses in the fifth chapter when he says you know is someone among you sick um take it to the elders pray if there's a need for confession confess there will be healing the language that's used in that chapter is used both of physical healing in the here and now and ultimate healing in the beyond Mm -hmm. it's ambiguous and and that's the way i read that chapter ultimately god heals he does and sometimes it happens here physically and sometimes not so much but there is a a larger healing awaiting us beyond this here and now so yeah and i love what you said about anger because i think that's an emotion that especially for christians we're very uncomfortable with like we've been taught like that's not an okay thing to feel yeah. probably like because of that scripture of like in your anger do not sin i think a lot of us have internalized that's like don't be angry um but i think there's something too i mean we know this like in 
in clinical therapy, like you can't tell people not to feel something that doesn't help them stop feeling it. It just brings a lot of shame to what they are feeling. And so instead, a lot of times it's just entering into that emotion with them, releasing them to feel that. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's even like, there are certain clients where the things they're saying are so atrocious of what they've experienced. It's like, I feel angry. Even if they don't feel angry for themselves, I feel angry. And sometimes I found it's very healing for somebody else to hear. Even if you're not there, I'm there because this is what the situation deserves. It deserves anger. It deserves hurt. And so even if you're not in a space where you can place yourself to hurt or to be mad or to be sad, like I am because this is what this situation requires. And I think like there's a, uh, not just emotional maturity that's required of that, but spiritual maturity. So no, like, I think it reminds me of the scripture that talks about how God understands everything it is to be human. God, God has experienced through Christ, all that it is, every range of emotion. He's not afraid of that. And so as Christ followers, like we don't need to be afraid of the wide range of emotions that come with pain, that come with grief, that come with burdens. Um, And it's, it's okay to feel those. It's okay to be in those. I think the Psalms give us permission to speak freely with God. You know, the Bible is a word from God within it. The Psalms are a word to God. And sometimes that word is just really, really angry, livid stuff. But I, I also remember that in the Psalms, there's a kind of flow to these Psalms of lament over the condition of the world. In Psalm 139, for example, toward the end, you know, the psalmist says, I just hate those who are making life so hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I hate them. I hate my enemies. And then he turns right around and says, search me, oh God, and see if there's anything in me that's mm-hmm. not right. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's almost like he had a moment of recognition. Oh, my goodness. Talking about I hate all these people. That doesn't sound right. Or like in Psalm 73, where you get the psalmist saying, I just don't get it. Why are the wicked prospering? That's not Mm -hmm. fair, God. On and on he goes about the wicked prospering, and it was killing him. And then toward the middle of that psalm, somewhere around verse 16 or 17, he says, but then I entered the temple. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the context of worship, there is a recognition of the God who made all these people who have become wicked, but the God who yet holds the universe in the palm of God's hand and is still in control of the universe. And suddenly it became clear to me, you know, that my perspective on all these wicked people is not the end all. God is the one who's in control. And I just have to keep reminding myself of that. Yeah. And it strikes me that it's a process, like, and the revelation comes from God, comes from the Lord, right? Like, it's not my job to make somebody else have that revelation. It can be my job to be with them until God shows them. And in all the sticky times, or you just want to be like, I hate everybody. Like, I can be, I can be with you until God brings you to a place where that has quieted and that's okay. Well, we got to get close to wrapping this up, but I do want to ask you one more question before okay. we close out. Because, you know, as we talk about this, I want to recognize that 
none of us will bear other people's burdens perfectly. And especially in situations of intense pain, we'll all feel our limits. And so how do you think we love like Christ and maintain boundaries? Yeah. Well, I was thinking the therapist should answer that question, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go with this. You know, we have to watch things like codependency and um, the emergence of inappropriate relationships that can take place. Uh, we need to, um, you know, I think one of the ways we can do it is is uh, to stay in conversation with those who are closest to us and know us best. Mm-hmm to help establish what the appropriate boundaries are. Uh, We have to watch our personal health. We have to watch our mental health. What are we thinking about all the time? Are we carrying these problems with us constantly? We have to look at our limits, our limitations, our gifting, places where we have things we can offer, things maybe we're not so good at offering. You make referrals. So the spiritual directors, you know, sometimes we refer people to therapists. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes therapists refer people to spiritual directors. It's it's a very much a two-way street. But there is a teaching in scripture that comes to mind when uh, you ask this question about boundaries. And it's uh, it's it's in Galatians chapter 6, where at the end of this book that has been fraught with so much pain, mm-hmm. Paul's dealing with a congregation or congregations that have sold out for a different, lesser version of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's very much reliant upon, uh, you know, my good works to try to get it right with God. Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And then he says, carry each other's burdens. I mean, the very thing Mm -hmm. that we're talking about here. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But then he goes on to say, if anyone thinks he or she is something when they're really nothing, I think that's what he's getting at earlier when he says, watch the temptation when you're helping people. You might have an inflated view of yourself Mm -hmm. and your ability to help people. He says, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. And then that person can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each of you, this is so fascinating. Each of you should carry your own life. Well, he just said, bear each other's burdens, carry each other's loads. And two verses later, everyone carries their own load. So what what I'm saying is there's a real tension here Mm. with boundaries between what we call self-care. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's self-care, you better make sure yourself is healthy. You know what I'm saying? The healthy... The healthy self alone, the healthy self can care for the self. If your self is unhealthy and you're trying to care for yourself, you got to get a lot of help. We need the community to help us. So, so that's the tension. We bear each other's burden in a context of spiritual maturity. He says, those of you who are spiritual, restore this person gently. Such good advice. 
but watch yourself because you've mm-hmm. got to carry your own load. And I think of the teaching of Jesus, you know, judge not in order that you're not judged. The measure you judge other people is the measure that they're going to judge you. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, God will judge all of us. So, man, we got to stay on our toes with boundaries. And, you know, practically, I would just say we all need some very close confidants in the faith. That's can- right keep secrets and practice accountability and listen well and love deeply. Um, That can come about in the context of group spiritual direction in really healthy ways. But yeah, that's, that's what I, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I really love that. I think that that whole idea of why community is essential and bearing one another's burdens well and maintaining boundaries. I think like what you're saying, if if you're not really known in community, you're just, there's a lot of risks where you might overdo it. You might underdo it. And I think it's so good to like ask yourself, are there people in your life that can tell you no, and you will listen. Um, And I also think that that's why carrying one another's burdens has to be in community. I think that's why I believe in the church because there are times where someone's needs, I like, I really, it's not me. I, I can't do it. I'm not good at that. Or like, I don't yeah. understand that, but there's probably someone else in the body that can, that does understand that is gifted right. or has had that experience, you know, whatever it is. And so I think one of the practical things I always think about is like, whenever it feels like you're the only one that can fix it, or you're the person that has to help this person, rescue this person, save this person. That's probably when, you know, like you're, boundary lines are too fuzzy um and even as like a you know now being a therapist I feel like my supervisors are always telling me like don't work harder than the client (laughs) and so (laughs) it's like always a reminder that like my job is not to solve this person's problems as much as it is to accompany them in what they're going through and so also like my job is not to rescue this client I can't like I can't fix their lives for them I can journey with them to deeper curiosity and compassion and mm-hmm. and and bear some of this weight with them but I'm not going to fix it for them and I and anytime we get to that spot I think I think I see this a lot with people who especially grow up in church it's like we have this like rescue savior complex where it's like I'm going to take this thing on for this other person and like be the end all be all and it's like that's not any of our jobs like the only person that can do that is Christ. And there were people he chose not to heal when he was on earth. There were people that like, even he had limits as a person. So why would we think we don't, you know, like, and I think that that's important for us to just pause and think through. So to close Neil, I, I just want to ask you to cast a vision for us. And it's what does a community that's unyielding in the face of the brutality of pains and burdens look like? Yeah, I thought about Galatians again um, when I heard you ask that question. And just a couple of verses later, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not become weary in doing good. Mm. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that community uh, where, where people didn't let down their guard, but they were, they were, tenacious about being attentive to the pain that other people are experiencing 
And he says, we do this for the proper time. We will reap the harvest. If we don't give up, I Paul amazes me. I mean, you know, he, he uses this imagery of the finish line and the race and how we just, we just keep moving. We keep moving. We don't let up. Sabbaticals are good sometimes. You know that. But we don't let up in the long run. And he concludes, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. You remember I talked about the human dimension of our pain. I think this is our greatest, maybe our greatest um, missiological tool, if you want to call it that. To be attentive to the to the lives and the pains of people, both within our community of faith and people outside it, because he says, "Let us do good to all people." But he ends it this way: especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, we 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 know each other. We've shared our lives and stories. We are together in our commitment to submitting to Jesus. Uh, I think that the community that is whole and functioning is a lot like that community in Acts where no needs were overlooked. Everybody's needs were being met. People were selling their possessions for folks who were hungry as a result of famine. Uh, they were meeting together every day in their homes. Okay. Uh, they were also meeting, uh, you know, at Solomon's Colonnade there in the temple. So it was a big crowd. It was the little crowd. It was everyone in between. It's this extraordinary picture of a people who are utterly focused on each other. We've got mm. to learn to transcend ourselves. Mm in order to to be that community that shares each other burdens and i mean it sounds like utopia or something but uh and i'll end it this way um jesus called us to a life of a kind of to use our friend henry's language a kind of downward mobility that involves the way of the cross the way of the cross is not easy. I mean, we wear our crosses. We have tattoos with crosses. Um, and that, that's the symbol of the Christian faith. Um, people cross themselves constantly at sporting events, you know, in churches, in hospitals. Uh, we've got to keep the cross before us because it is a sacrificial life. Mm. No, nobody said it better than uh, Shah de Foucault in his prayer. Lord, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me as you will. Whatever you do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. Into your hands, I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love in my heart um, because you're my father, <laughs> you know, trustworthy, caring, dependable. Mm 
father. So I hope that helps. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And we just appreciate you and everybody else that's listening. We'll catch you next time. Okay. Thank you, Christy. It's been a pleasure.